When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to let you know that if you are interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com slash audible. Most free trial offers for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we are giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com slash audible to Sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 169, and we are recording on February 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sarah Davis, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hi. So, Sarah, you are both a contributor and a bibliologist for our TBR, Tailored Book Recommendations Service. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, as a bibliologist, I'll receive a request from someone. Um, it could be either for recommendations only or for hardcover. And if they choose hardcover, they'll get three hardcover new releases. So then people can give you feedback based on what you've recommended before. And it's a really nice mix of what people ask for, because sometimes they're what they're looking for is something really specific. And those are always both challenging and fun to find something for. Um, and sometimes people will want something that's a little bit more in their comfort zone. And I also really like taking requests from people who want to push themselves outside what they already know, whether they're looking for more diverse books or they're looking to try a new genre. And so you use their, your kind of uh, bibliologist to reader's advisory magical powers to, (laughs) (laughs) to uh, recommend three books. And um, it's a really great service. I think people appreciate the personalized aspect of it because you really do kind of feel like they're little, like concierge in a way, um, you, you know, you're dedicated to helping them and, um, you know, working with someone on their individualized reading uh, preferences. And so, yeah, I really enjoy it. And I heard you say Reader's Advisory. You're a librarian, right? I am a non-practicing librarian. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have uh, my master's in library science, but I'm actually not working in, in libraries right now. But I get to use a lot of those Reader's Advisory skills um, anyway, through uh, Get Booked or writing for Book Riot. So um, not in the library per se. Gotcha, but gotcha. A wider library of the world. That's Well, I love that. <laughs> That's great. Um, and let's see, what are you reading right now? I am reading a book called The Night Ocean by Paul Lafarge. And um, I actually wrote a, an article recently for Book Riot on cosmic horror, which was um, new a new sci-fi genre for me to um, learn about. It's basically kind of like inherited from Lovecraft. And um, in doing that, I got to read um, about like a lot of contemporary works that draw on his um, his his kind of cosmos, but also um, I guess like reinterpreting it 
and looking at ways to kind of liberate people from his really rather very problematic mm-hmm. background. So this book is kind of it's like kind of, it's a contemporary novel and it it involves and the grapples with HBO Lovecraft's um, legacy head on, but also through kind of like a psychological suspense way. So I'm really digging it so far. Awesome. Um, speaking of libraries, my library hold on Washington Black uh, by Essie Adugian just came in, and I have been waiting for this book for like a year. It feels like yeah, yeah. That's on my that's on my TBR. Yeah, it won so many awards, and I heard so many amazing rave reviews about it from other book riot people and just all over the internet. And I feel very behind that I haven't read it yet. So I'm gonna try, y'all. I'm gonna try. I have a plane ride coming up, so I might bring it with me um, for that because i don't know about you but i can like i often can knock out a book on a plane yeah yeah definitely Mm -hmm. all right so let's see if this is the first time you're tuning in as we said at the top this is a reading recommendation show which means that y'all send us in your questions about what you should read next what your book club might want to read next what you should get as a gift for a friend or family member we will do our best including our pets to find a good pick for you um and uh and so you can send those recommendations in two ways you can either email them to us it's getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop them into the form that's the bottom of the show notes uh on the site for every show and if you send in a po- uh excuse me if you send in a question that is time sensitive please do let us know when you're hoping to have the answer back by we'll do our best if we don't think we're going to get to it on air we will send you maybe an email response Um, and if you've asked a question that we've answered before we might also send you an email so keep an eye out for those Uh, i'm going to read our first question and then tell you about our first sponsor and then away we will go This question is from Tracy, who says, My book club is working on compiling a list of our upcoming books by the end of February. We've had a lot of books that really hurt the momentum of our group and recently have had a streak of really great books that have gotten us all excited again. The books we have enjoyed are The Rosie Project, Artemis, Joyful, They Both Die at the End, and Between the World and Me. The books that have made us collectively lose steam are The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Desert Solitaire, and Lord of Misrule. Do you have any suggestions for us? We enjoy both non fiction and fiction. And yeah, great question. Um, but before we talk about that, I want to talk about our sponsor, Every Plate, which is one of those excellent sort of meal in a box uh value meal kits. Um, they show up at your door and they have all of the ingredients that you need to make dinner. And these are a cheaper, healthier alternative to takeout or delivery. Other dinner options cost around like $10 per serving, but Every Plate is offering five chef-designed recipes each week from only $4.99 per serving, which is, you know, I'd easily spend that on coffee or a Danish every day. So a dinner for that price is a very good deal. Um, and the recipes are easy to follow. They come together in about 30 minutes, so you can get back to enjoying your time in front of the TV or reading books or whatever it is that you would rather be doing. And the every plate recipes come already pre-measured. So they are basically doing the meal planning, shopping, and preparing for you. Um, I did get my box in the mail. I regret that my life has been so busy that I have not even had 30 minutes to cook. Um, but I am really pleased with the selection of options. And I also thought the website was really easy to use and very clear and very simple. There's like, this is like the really really straightforward, simplified version of a lot of the meal kits out there, which can get a little complicated. Uh, So 
if you are interested in getting meals delivered right to you very easily, very cheaply, um, you should check this out. The first six meals uh, across your first three weeks. Oh, you can get six. Excuse me. You can get six free meals across your first three weeks and free shipping on your first delivery. If you go to everyplate.com and enter code booked six, that's B-O-O-K-E-D, the number six. And this offer equates to one third off of each of your first three boxes. And again, go to everyplate.com and enter code booked six. That's B-O-O-K-E-D six. All right. So let's see. So the question was books that will keep a book club going full steam ahead. This is definitely a tricky one. Sarah, what do you got for this? Well, I totally understand when this happens. I ran a book club for um, about two years, and I have to say, um, you could definitely feel when the air goes out of the room. <laughs> um, and some books are just, uh, I think, um, they're just, they don't give you that kind of good discussion nuggets that engage people. And actually, the art of motorcycle maintenance was, uh, we had a similar um, effect in our group. So what I am recommending is The Perfect Nanny by Leila Slimani. And this book, if if you haven't heard about it yet, it, it, it received a lot of attention last year. It was one of the New York Times' 10 best books of the year. And it's, um, it's, a, it's this very chilling look at um, class, gender, um, kind of maternal responsibility through the story of this young couple who have um, two kids and the mother uh, feels a desire to go back to work. So she hires this woman who seems like the perfect nanny. And it's almost kind of like uh, like an anti Mary Poppins in a way, because this woman has a lot of um, issues that she's bringing to it, but their relationship becomes um, kind of codependent and, and eventually quite toxic. And I'd recommend this book um, because it's, it challenges ideas of culpability, uh, you know, who you think is more responsible for something spiraling out of control. Um, and also just, the idea that um, how these these dynamics can be passed on to the children too. So I think it's got a lot of great discussion starters in there about, um, you know, uh, what is right, what is wrong, what can we stop, what can't we stop, and how do we um, get ourselves out of these situations if a lot of our personal guilt is driving those decisions? So I'd recommend that. And I, I'd actually like to put in a little plug for an article I wrote in December, 10 New Controversial Books to Shake Up Your Book Club. And that was one of them. Um, so that's, yeah, I would I would say um, enjoy, but, you know, be ready to talk about it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the ideal book club book, right? Is one where you like it's fun, but then also I have a million things I want to say about it. Yeah. Let's see. So I picked Disoriental by Negar Javadi, translated by Tina Cover, which was one of my favorite books of twenty. 18. It just was so amazing. Um, and it's a really powerful novel. It is also based on the author's own experiences. Um, but it is about a young girl named Kimia who flees Iran at the age of 10 with her mother and sisters to join their, her father in France. Um, and she, you're getting both her childhood in Iran and then her adulthood in France. Um, so the adulthood timeline, she's about 25. Um, she is working on getting pregnant and having a kid. And she's going through this very intense 
life transitional moment. And so she is sort of re-experiencing this uh, trauma of her childhood as well as the good parts of her childhood. And then also you're getting sort of this almost like family lore um, that goes back to, you know, the generations before Kimia and, and sort of gives context for the family and why it is the way it is and how they got to where they are today. And it's just so good. Oh, man, I fell so hard for these characters. Um, Kimia is an amazing narrator and the stories are so rich and the settings are so rich and you really feel so connected uh, through all of the like triumphs and troubles of this family and it is a rough book in a lot of ways because you know this was a very intense moment uh, violent moment in the history of Iran um and her family experiences a lot of that. And so, you know, it's the, like you're definitely there are sections that are real page turners. And then there are other sections that are sort of these meandery, you know, once upon a time, like your great great grandfather, you know, found this woman at the market. And, and it's like these like sort of like, yeah, like little like interspersal moments of different kinds of storytelling. So there's a lot of different things going on structurally. Um, it's also a beautiful contemporary queer family story. Um, and yeah, it's, it's about immigration and refugees and what does it mean to have a family and what does it mean to be part of a family and how do you choose your own? Um, and how do you deal with the trauma of, you know, your childhood um, as an adult who is now thinking about having a child. So there's a lot going on in here. There's tons to discuss. And I do think the writing, you know, sucks you in. The structure may not be necessarily easy for everyone because it's not linear, but I think that it flows really beautifully and, and it should keep you going. And there's just tons to talk about. So again, that's Disoriental by Nagar Javadi, translated by Tina Cover. Cool. Second question. Um, hey there. I've been a longtime fan of your podcast, but this is the first time I'm actually looking for a personal recommendation. Recently, I've read The Crane Stance by Meg Howry, and I immediately fell in love. Ever since I've been trying to find books that deal with similar topics or themes, but nothing managed to live up to it. So here's what I'm looking for. Books dealing with ballet or any kind of activity the main character is really obsessed with. Um, I'm open to ideas, books that talk about some more philosophical ideas that don't go over one's head, character-driven stories and a strong character voice, preferably from a female point of view. I already have Sally Rooney's books on my TBR. I've read Donna Tart, Ella Ferrante, Elena Ferrante, and My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Any ideas what I should pick up next? Thanks, Olivia. What did you pick for this one? I picked Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Danler, which I read a couple of years ago and I just, oh, I loved it. It was one of those books that I stayed up way, way, way too late to read, like <laughs> three in the morning. I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to lose, lose this world. So this in this novel, um, Tess is a young 20-something and she uh, wants to move to New York and escape her home. And you don't really quite know what she's leaving behind. You just know that she really wants to start over and start fresh in New York. So she takes the first job that she can, that, sh that she's offered, which is in a high-end restaurant. She's a uh, low, low member, low-ranking member of the wait staff, and she becomes just transported into this world of um, food, and then the family kind of community aspect that's really tight knit around the staff of the restaurant. 
and and then the the cooks too um but moreover she she becomes kind of fixated on befriending this woman Simone who's worked there a while and she's the wine expert and then she's and then Tess is also kind of infatuated with this guy who's the the bartender who's kind of like one of those rough uh um dreamy kind of uh you know tortured guys and so into this kind of triangle between these three people, um, Tess gets an education that's not just in food, but also um, kind of like growing up and becoming more aware of herself. So it's both a coming of age and also just like a really uh, immersive character driven story. And Tess's voice is just really it's just lush, but it's really accessible too. Um, and, and I sure she like her strong, her strong voice actually does remind me of Donna Tartt's and, uh, my year of rest and relaxation. It's just like a similarly, um, poignant, but also that feeling of like looking back on yourself with a little bit of distance to see, um, how much you learned, but also how naive you and young you were at the same time. It's Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler. I heard so many good things about that book when it came out. Um, it's been on my it's been on my long list for a while. I got to get to it. Yeah. Well, clear your schedule. Yeah, <laughs> and, I'll just do- get ready. Yeah, get ready to cook because like it will definitely make you hungry. Oh, yeah. nice. Um, I I like never do this anymore, but I got really torn about my answer to this question, and so I have two books for you. You said you preferred a female point of view, but I just wanted to direct your attention to Dancer by Colin McCann because this is a novel about the Russian dancer Rudolf Nureyev, and it is so intense like talk about a book that's just like about an obsession with ballet and perfection and performance and the ways that that can just sort of shape a life like this book is such a dive into that world and also because Nureyev you know came from Russia and went to New York and has this really intense sort of story of how he became the sensation that he did become and then you know the secrets about his life you know um being closeted and being gay um and and you know it goes from you know world war ii to new york in the 80s like there's so much going on historically around this time period and there's so many characters in history that make appearances in this novel so it's like it just really is i think it will scratch that itch it's just not about a female character so i wanted to shout that one out um my other pick for you is point by brandy colbert or Colbert. I'm never positive which one it is. Um, but this is a great book. It's a YA technically, but I think it's definitely got crossover appeal because it is dealing with some really intense and timely issues. Um, and this comes with a trigger warning for eating disorders, as I guess actually do a lot of books about the ballet world. Um, but just FYI. So it's about a young girl named Theo who is, um, you know, sort of trying to get back on her feet after a bunch of things have gone wrong for her. Um, she's on her way to becoming an elite ballet dancer and she's like, you know, dating guys and, you know, doing her thing. Um, but the thing that has happened is one of her oldest friends disappeared four years ago and, uh, and, and he suddenly has returned 
to town. Um, and this sort of throws Theo back into all of the events of four years ago and what she's been trying to forget or maybe suppress and what has happened to her friend. And, you know, was he abducted? Like what was he kidnapped? What happened there? Um, and how does she deal with his return now? Uh, and it's really, 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 really intense. Uh, and she knows some things that she's not allowed to tell people. And she's struggling with, you know, just so many different things. Um, so there's a lot of feelings, obviously, on the page. And there's a lot of really difficult moments and you know especially as a grown-up reading this book it's just like oh your heart aches because there are these moments in your life whether you're a teenager or an adult where it's just so unclear to you what the right thing to do is and this book really digs into that so you said you were looking for like you know philosophical observations but that aren't super abstract like this is a lot about you know how do we make choices and what if there's no good choices so i think this one will also uh suit you very well so again that's point by brandy colbert is what we're going to go with there cool okay Question three is from Nicole, who says, I'm hoping you can help me find more reading material on capital punishment. My interest in it peaked when I was reading Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, and I later followed it up with The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton. I'd prefer nonfiction, but I'll take whatever you can give me. All right. What do you got, Sarah? So I actually do have a novel. Um, so it's not nonfiction, but I think it'll uh, give you um, a similar kind of really gripping um, connection to capital punishment. And that is Burial Rights by Hannah Kent, which opens with the words, they said I must die. And it is a, uh, it's a novel that takes a look at this historical, just kind of infamous historical case in um, Iceland with this woman who um, she was executed in 1829 for supposedly killing her master and another man and burning their bodies. So uh, at the time, Iceland had kind of had this break where they weren't doing capital punishment, but her case just really took hold. And it was um, just a lot of sensational stuff. She got accused of, um, you know, being a witch or the devil. It just really stirred up a lot in um, the area. So she is sent to um, wait out her final days before she's going to be executed. And she goes to this remote farm where she's um, housed by this family. And, you know, initially they're like uh, suspicious of her and, you know, think it's such a clear cut thing. But then the more time they spend with her, the more they realize, you know, maybe this isn't quite as straightforward. And, you know, is capital punishment really the uh, the the right way to mete out justice here? So uh, this it's got this gorgeous setting, um, very atmospheric, um, but also just a really strong voice, too, from the main character. And uh, I, I think it just looks at the complexities of a case like that. And especially from a woman's perspective, um, w you know, how women were treated uh, as, as far as crimes go and, and then kind of just like the implications of that. So that's Burial Rights by Hannah Kent. You know, we I, I did that book with a book club actually. Oh, really? Yeah. When I worked at the uh, bookstore, um, we did that book in the mystery book club because there, you know, it's not like a straightforward mystery, but there is some, you know, questions about like what actually happened. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was a really interesting discussion. Yeah. We had a good time with that one. 
Um, let's see. So I picked a book that I haven't actually read and I'm not sure I will because this is not really my wheelhouse of reading. Um, although I'm like happy to read articles on it, but like a full book is a lot for me, but everyone at book riot, like basically has recommended this book. And that is the fact of a body, a murder and a memoir by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. Um, and so this is a, it is a memoir. Um, and the Alexandria is starting a summer job at a law firm in Louisiana, um, working to help defend men accused of, of murder. Um, she is very anti-death penalty. She's a child of two lawyers. This has like been a lifelong belief of hers and she's, you know, doing work on this. Um, and then she's reviewing some old tapes and a convicted murderer's face comes up on the screen and she has this intense visceral reaction and like want and is discovers this feeling of like wanting him to die. And so she's really shocked by this reaction. And so she starts to dig deeper into the case because something about it is causing this reaction in her and she's cannot quite figure out what it is. And so she is like digging into this old, you know, case and then thinking about her own childhood and her own life. And, um, and then there are, you know, she's not the only one who's sort of involved in this. So it's a, it is, it's sort of like a true crimey memoir mishmash, um, that does all of these things while also tackling the question of like, you know, what, is is there are there exceptions or you know can you have a belief that covers all instances um and what do we believe about forgiveness and what do we believe about the law and about crime so i think this will definitely give you uh the questions and and that you're looking for as well as being you know sort of like a a thrillery version of this. So um, again, that's The Fact of a Body, A Murder and a Memoir by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. It's such a good book. Oh, you've read, read it. Okay, good. <laughs> I did. And it was, it was really one of my favorites of the year. Um, it was just, it's very intense, like you said. And, but I also found that uh, the way that the author um, examines some of these things, she puts a lot of scrutiny in, in her, her beliefs and then her past. And, you know, it's just, it's just so gripping. And like, I, I could not forget like some of the passages and her writing and the way she would describe things. And you're right. Like it does kind of suck you in with this um, mystery almost in a way. Um, and, and really those unanswered questions. Um, but yeah, it is very intense, but I would say it's one of the most memorable books I've read in the last like five years. Oh, wow. Well, here you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, It's really good. <laughs> nice. Okay, so our next question comes from Mallory, and she asks, I was wondering if you could help me find some mystery slash suspense books that involve two detectives who are a married couple. I've been binging through Agatha Christie's Tommy and Tuppen series, and I'm absolutely obsessed with their dynamic. Anything that involves a married couple or romantic couple solving crimes together and bantering is right up my alley. For this, I'm recommending In the Bleak Midwinter by Julia Spencer Fleming, which is the first in um, a series featuring um, a couple. Uh, so the, oh, the first novel kicks off and it's set in this kind of sh sheltered, secluded Adirondack town in New York um, during a very snowy winter. So it's kind of perfect to read right now. And it looks at the um, the relationship between 
um, a reverend who is a veteran and she's new to the area. It's a quite a conservative and kind of traditional community. And she's, she's a little like has a little, uh, friction towards that. And then the police chief who, um, they, they kind of get together on this one case where a baby is found, um, in front of the church. So they want to search for like who the parents are and then, um, the case just gets deeper and deeper from there. And it just really brings in, um, some of these underlying tensions in the community. So I'd recommend this because their, their relationship is, um, yeah, like it's complex, but I also think it just feels really authentic and, um, driven by some of the emotion of actually trying to solve some of these cases that, um, just are grueling and really, um, hit you in the field. So to be around someone else who's, um, you're trying to solve that with a similar priority, it just brings out this kind of, I think, really unique dynamic between the two. So that is In the Bleak Midwinter by Julia Spencer Fleming. And it is the first of her Reverend Claire Ferguson and, um, Chief Russ Van Alston, um, series, which is up to eight books now. Oh, wow. I'm like very tickled by the idea of like a veteran reverend minister solving crimes. That's yeah. really interesting to me. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, okay. So I picked like the banteriest book I could think of, which is To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis. This is like a time travel m- search for the MacGuffin mystery. Um, they, in this sort of concept, uh, in 21st century Oxford, time travel is available, but only to historians. And you can go back, but you can't bring anything forward. Um, like, there's all kinds of reasons, you know, time travel reasons why you can't do that. And they can't change anything, but they can sort of go research the history that they would otherwise only be able to read about. So, the, but of course, uh, when you're time traveling, like, you get, like, basically the time travel version of jet lagged. And the main character, Ned Henry, has just gotten back from really too many jumps and gets sent on yet another mission, but his mission instructions get garbled. So he basically has no idea where he's going or what he's doing there. And he's been told that his contact, like another Oxford historian, is already in this time um, in 1940 and will like meet him and give him instructions, but he doesn't know who the contact is. So he's like, he arrives in 1940 England and he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to i have no idea what's going on like what is happening to me um and uh he gets absorbed into this boating party and ends up at this you know house where they're doing like seances and there's a crazy dog and a cat and in the meantime he's getting random instructions from you know his present which is the technical future about what he's supposed to be doing and the love interest i don't want to spoil anything but the love interest shows up um and they have the best banter oh my gosh i love it so much it's just really rompy and delightful and i love the premise and um yeah it's just super 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 fun so uh it's it's sadly i think it's the only of the oxford time travel books that has a couple solving a mystery but there are other books in this series if you end up liking sort of the general vibe of it so i'm um, again to say that excuse me that's to say nothing of the dog by connie willis 
Okay, let's see. It is time for our second sponsor, which is Nurex. So imagine if you could chat with doctors anytime from your phone, get prescribed online, and get birth control delivered straight to your door every month with automatic refills. Enter Nurex, the game-changing company that is here to make getting birth control easier. So this offers end-to-end care without ever having to leave your home. Fewer doctor visits, no more pharmacy lines, no more for- no more forgetting to pick up your refill, which is a story I know very well. And if you don't have insurance, it is a very affordable option. And if you have insurance, it could be completely free. So all you have to do is go to their website or their app and answer a few health questions for the certified doctors. They carry over 50 brands of birth control, so you can choose your go-to. Or if you're trying to figure out what the right one is for you, their medical team will help. And it is all safe and secure and HIPAA compliant. So that is a very convenient option. I know a lot of us um, have struggled with having enough time and mental space to make sure that that gets done, which is obviously very important if you are on it to get it done on a regular schedule. So you can go to N-U-R-X dot com slash booked b-o-o-k-e-d and you can get a twenty dollar credit and birth control at your doorstep in less than a week so again that's n-u-r-x dot com slash booked b-o-o-k-e-d for a twenty dollar credit thank you so much for sponsoring the show all right. Our next question is from Rebecca T, who says, I recently read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid and absolutely loved it. I'm looking for recommendations for books that take place in old-timey Hollywood that might be similar. I enjoy stories told from different points of view, time jumping from past, present to past, and wouldn't say no to some mystery. Thank you in advance for your help. What you got? I have A Touch of Stardust by Kate Alcott. Um, which is definitely one of those breathtaking, old-timey, just transportive kind of feelings to it. It's about a young woman who leaves the Midwest, and she's intent to become a screenwriter in Hollywood. This is in uh, the early 30s, so um, not exactly the time it is now for uh, having a woman be a screenwriter. So... But she she takes this job in the publicity office of a powerful producer, David O. Selznick, um, who was working on producing the 1931 film Gone with the Wind, um, which stars uh, famous actor Clark Gable. So Julie becomes an assistant to um, act, the actress Carol Lombard, who is uh, at the moment having a very public but semi-taboo relationship with Clark Gable. And Julie just kind of just gets swept up into this world um, very close, like in um, that, that kind of access feeling like she's, she's very close to that and access to uh, various um, famous directors and actresses in this really formative time of classic Hollywood. And there's, there's a similar feel to um, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, because there's a connection between Julie and Carol. Um, They're both from the same hometown in in Indiana. So um, their relationship, uh, they kind of have like a similar feeling of moving from a a small community, and then kind of just being thrown into Hollywood when it's really getting going. Um, So I feel like you'll definitely be uh, thinking like you're right there with her, like the author, uh, Kate Alcott's done a lot of research. Um, and it's just that sort of, uh, sweeping romantic, um, perspective, I think. So that's A Touch of Stardust by Kate Alcott. 
Nice. Yeah, my pick also is very much a sort of, when I think back on this book, it's like got a gauzy, dreamy feel to it. Uh, so my pick for this question is Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures by Emma Straub, which has also a very gauzy, sort of dreamlike feel to it when I think back on it. Um, it is the story of a young girl who is born in 1920 in uh, Wisconsin, in Door County, um, as Elsa Emerson. And she is actually raised sort of on the stage. Her family owns the Cherry County Playhouse and she loves being part of the plays. Um, but then tragedy strikes her family. And so she leaves Wisconsin um, and flees to Los Angeles. She gets married to a guy and they go to Los Angeles and she's there and she gets, she actually does get discovered. Like that was her goal and she actually does it. Um, and he renames her and, you know, she changes her hair and her life and all of these things and leaves behind her sort of previous life to become this totally new person named Laura Lamont. Um, and I'm trying to remember, because you said in the question that you liked it when the narratives alternate past and present, there are there are two storylines here. I cannot remember how the narrative unfolds because it's been so long since I read it. It came out in 2012, and I think I read it before it in galleys. So I don't exactly remember the structure, but it definitely, you're getting this very sort of alternating view of what it was like for her before she became part of the studio system and, you know, an award-winning actress, uh, like a genuine movie star and what she was like before that, but also sort of these you know, the dark bits of what that was like for her as well. And she has a fair amount of darkness in her life. So it is, it's a very intense book in a lot of ways, but it does have that sort of dreamy Hollywood, you know, golden age feel to it. So I think you'll dig it. So again, that's Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures by Emma Straub. All right. Our next question is from Angie and the, their question is, I really love the book The Sparrow by Mary Daria Russell, and the movie Arrival is one of my favorites because I love the glimpses that both works give of linguists. I am looking for more books about linguists or linguistics, fiction or nonfiction, as long as the nonfiction is accessible to a regular non-academic. Thanks, Angie. So I'm going to recommend The Study of Animal Languages by Lindsay Stern, which is actually uh, a new release, um, February, today, actually. And it's it's about this couple. They're both professors um, at a, a Rhode Island um, university. Um, the husband is a philosophy professor, and his wife, um, Prue, is... Uh, she's a linguist studying biolinguistics and specifically bird languages. So there's some disconnect between the two of them. First of all, they're opposite personalities. Um, Ivan, the husband, is very logic-driven, um, very rational, and Prue's just a little bit more whimsical, more emotional. Um, and like uh, the theme of linguistics, they have a lot of trouble communicating um, themselves. So um, when Prue's father comes to town to deliver a lecture, it's kind of right at the um, heart of her battle for her tenure. And uh, while she's been very, she's, she's had a very successful career um, as an academic, uh, Ivan, um, his career is just not at the same uh, level of prestige as hers. He just hasn't seen as many opportunities um, come by. So um, at the heart of this, there's the um, debates over linguistics and the ethics of studying animal languages. And so there's 
uh, that linguistic element. And then also looking back at the, the theme of communication and um, how we feel like there's a breakdown in what we can and cannot express, um, specifically through the lens of this um, married couple. So it's just come out and it's got like a, almost like a satirical kind of um, on beauty by Zadie Smith, Zadie Smith kind of feeling to it, where it shows you kind of like these uh, really tiny arguments that get really blown um, very large in academia. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it, it'll, it examines language on multiple levels. And I think that um, if you're looking to learn more about uh, linguistics, but also like the people who study those languages and how that affects their lives, this is a good pick. So that's The Study of Animal Languages by Lindsay Stern. That sounds so interesting. Um, I picked a sci-fi novel for you because you talked about The Sparrow and Arrival, and I love both of those things. Um, If you have not yet read the short story that Arrival is based on, it's called The Story of the story of your life and others. Yes. The story of your life and others. Um, and it's in a, in a, in a short story collection. That's just amazing. Um, and arrival is a pretty good adaptation actually, I think, but the story is even better. Um, so just for the record, definitely read the original story. Um, but I picked Ammonite by Nicola Griffith for you. Um, this is a, technically she's an anthropologist. Um, Marg is an anthropologist, but she goes a lot into linguistics in this book. And I think it will give you that same sort of feel as the sparrow and um, the Ted Chang book. Um, and this is a fascinating sci-fi novel about a woman. Uh, as I said, her name is Marg. She's an anthropologist and she is being sent to study the population on this isolated planet that is basically controlled by a company. Um, and when humanity sort of arrived on this planet, they discovered humans already there, but who had been remarkably changed by a virus that when the original settlers, human settlers came to this planet, it killed all of the men and it killed quite a few of the women, but some survived and then have continued to survive. But clearly their biology has been deeply changed by this virus on the planet. And so the company is trying to figure out if they can like immunize people against this virus and therefore, you know, use this planet for basically resources or, you know, expansion of their own interests. Um, And so they've sent Marg, who knows very well that she's just a tool of the corporation, but she has her own reasons for going. Um, She's testing out a vaccine. She has six months of this vaccine when she lands on the planet um, to do her work. And she's, she is incredibly like dedicated to doing this work because she, this is a population that's been, you know, isolated from the rest of humanity for a long time. What are their cultures like? Their language shows some really interesting things that she doesn't understand. And she, so she just wants to know, um, she's really driven by this urge to understand this, what has happened here, um, to the population of this planet. And what I love about this book is that, you know, Griffith is specifically sort of looking at the history of, the gender binary in science fiction and fantasy and what, you know, past sci-fi novels have imagined a civilization that's only women to be like and and sort of pushing back against a lot of those tropes. So this is, you know, this is not at all a stereotypical like, oh, it's like an idyllic matriarchy or it's, you know, it's the Amazons. Like, in fact, there's different because it's an entire planet. There are different, you know, groups and tribes and 
people with different cultures interacting with each other within the planetary structure. And then you have these, you know, Terrans basically coming in, trying to settle here as well and how they're interacting with the inhabitants. And you also get this view sort of back into the history of the planet and about, you know, a little glimpse of how humanity first got there and what that did to the planet. So there's all kinds of interesting things going on here about colonialism and language and evolution and biology. And and then there's there's she her. She personally has a really heartbreaking personal story. And so, you know, it's about love and family and identity and loss. And oh, man, there's so much going on here. So I think it's a really good comp um, for both the Sparrow and the story of your life and others slash arrival. And I think you'll really dig it. And it does have that sort of linguist or social scientist vibe to it. So again, that's Ammonite by Nicola Griffith. All right. And our last question is from Rin, who says, I'm kind of obsessed with the works of Ray Bradbury, specifically Dandelion Wine and Something Wicked This Way Comes. I can't seem to find any other books that capture the same sort of nostalgia and enigmatic subtle magic that those books portrayed so wonderfully. Help, please. Oh, what you got, Sarah? I have The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. So I'm also a huge Ray Bradbury fan, and I know exactly what Rin's talking about with that nostalgia, but then the, the sort of magical feeling to... Um, the dog also knows exactly what you're talking <laughs> yes. about. Yeah, he's obviously very excited about this pick. So um, uh the ocean at the end of the lane taps into definitely that mood. And it's about a man who returns to uh, the English countryside to um, where he, where he grew up. Um, he's coming back for a funeral, but being back um, puts him squarely um, in a confrontation with his memories of when he was a kid. And this one stretch of supernatural events that happened um, after a man committed suicide um, in a car down the road from his farm. So during that time, um, he had befriended his neighbor, Letty Hemstock, who lived with her grandma and her mother in a house. And, and they had this kind of magical vibe. Like um, Letty said that this pond in the back of uh, their behind their house was actually an ocean. And when, when he's younger, you know, it's kind of easier to buy into that um, magical feeling and thinking that, you know, things can be mystical and they can be magical and they can be real at the same time. But as he grows older, he loses that. So once he comes back, he's remembering that yeah, very vividly that summer when, um, these the series of supernatural events kind of just stacked up one after the other and really uh, pushed him into uh, the Hemstock women's lives um, as they tried to help him. So I think, you know, like Bradbury, it, it looks at that time in our, your childhood where everything seems possible, but you're also just on the cusp of when, you know, maybe some cynicism starts to settle in. Um, and I just think it's a really beautiful work that would uh, speak to a lot of Rayberry's language and also themes. So that's The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. They do have a very similar feel. Um, I kind of came at this question sideways, and I picked for you Mama Day by Gloria Naylor, which if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll have heard me recommend before. It's a fascinating book. It's much longer than anything that Bradbury ever wrote, really. Um, and it is not about 
kids. Like I like I, I I'm I'm totally familiar with the works you're talking about and I I I know what you're talking about, so bear with me. Um, but this is about a young woman named Coco who grew up in a very on a small island off the coast of Georgia um, with her uh, great aunts, basically. Um, and she leaves to go to New York and try to, you know, make it in the city, find a find a find a man, like find a career, like decide who she's going to be in the world. Um, and she she does meet a man and marries him, uh, George, and she brings him back to meet the family. And this is sort of the story of how she met him, and then also what happens when she brings him back. Um, and the thing about her family is is that it's very uh, unusual. Um, it is, uh, Mama Day is like 90 years old. She's a very respected healer. She's believed to have powers, um, with herbs and other things. And people come to her for advice and also, you know, kind of spells. Um, and she lives with her sister, Abigail, and they together are sort of the memory keepers in a lot of ways for both the family and the island. Um, and the island has its own very intense history. It was originally a plantation that then was, the land was inherited uh, by the, a, a woman who had, a black woman who was a slave and had children um, by, her master and 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 so the the island has been inherited by her descendants um and it's got this really intense history and this book i will tell you is a heartbreaker like oh i cried i literally cried when things happened uh, i won't tell you what the things were but it has that sort of meandering like it's the real world, but then right underneath or just along the top, there's this layer of magic that Bradbury does so well. It does that same thing. And it, it feels like a really intimate, personal story, but then it just has such big feelings and ramifications. So it, it's both very intimate and very big at the same time, which Bradbury's work often feels like to me. Um, so I think it, like it, it isn't the same, but I think it's similar in interesting ways. And I think you would really dig it. Um, and actually like Bradbury, like sometimes, you know, Bradbury takes a while to sort of get to where he's going. And this book also is not a direct, like linear narrative. It takes a little while. It moves around, but if you, if you're willing to hang with it, it's so worth it. I just, this book is one of my all-time favorites that I've read in the past five years. I just love it so much. So I'm like, again, that's Mama Day by Gloria Naylor. And that is our show. Thank you, Sarah, so much for coming on and recommending stuff with me. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, good. Um, and thank you all for listening. If you would like to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would love that. We'd love to see the feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. Um, thank you to today's sponsors for making the episode possible. You can find us on social media, although I'm taking a little break. Sarah, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram at Sarah Book Goddess. And that's Sarah with an H. Wonderful. And we will talk to you next time. 